At least in my life and what perspectives that yeah. I bring to the table, um, I think we need to be seeing our community become more inclusive for queer people, particularly queer people of color who are facing the most violence. And we talk about love is love and love one another, but in my opinion, that's not enough. We mm -hmm. need to end harassment and discrimination mm -hmm. of one another mm -hmm. and make sure that everyone is able to achieve the highest forms of themselves wherever they wanna go um, and that Queer people in particular don't have to be subject to unsafe working conditions, putting themselves in situations that they otherwise wouldn't have to uh, because of who they are and their identity. That to me is top priority. Hi everyone, my name is Ron Bautista and this is The Change with Ron Bautista. Today we're going to have really a conversation about with everyday people to uh, really understand the change that people want to see uh, in their communities. So today we have a special guest, we have Matt Cunningham. Everybody give a round of applause. Thank you Matt for joining us. Uh, we, uh, we, we actually met uh, over coffee not too long ago. Uh, I love your story, I love what you stand for. We've had some great conversations, but I wanted to make sure that other people uh, had that peek at what you know, your passions are, uh, the different, uh, you know, about your story too. How did you come to Hoboken? Uh, we can start with that. You, are, you, are, uh, you, you graduated from Stevens. You were editor uh, for The Stute. Mm -hmm. You are a contributor, am I saying it right, contributor for, to Hoboken Girl? Yes. And, uh, and also, you are an activist for, you've been pushing for more visibility for the LGBTQ community here locally. So I just wanted to start with you, like tell us uh, more a bit about yourself. Okay, well thank you, that was a really nice introduction. And uh, yes, I've been in Hoboken for about five years now. I moved here for college. Uh, I'm originally from Springdale, Arkansas. I was born and raised there and I had a really good childhood there. I really love my family. They're still back there. Um, and I'm able to go back and visit occasionally, which is great. Uh, but I really knew that I wanted to be in a city and have access to everything that there is here that I didn't have in Arkansas. Uh, so since I've been here in Hoboken, it's been really great. And as you mentioned, right when I got here, I was excited to be part of the community. And so I found ways that I knew I would be really passionate in and I feel like I could succeed at uh, and just really put myself in there. Yeah, no, we connected on Twitter. Yes. Because you were very active on Twitter and I'm very active on Twitter, very in the local level. And that's how I just messaged you to so like, hey, let's grab a coffee and, and I want to learn more about what you're passionate about. Um, what, what are you, um, once, once you, get, you got here, what was that experience like going to Stevens and living here? I mean, it's a big culture shock to go from a suburban country area to one of the densest cities in the United States and trying to find my community and find my spaces. Being a queer person from Arkansas, there was not a lot available to us. And coming here where a lot of gay people think of it as a capital of the United States, uh, gay people come here and so trying to figure out how I was going to figure out my identity and where I fit into my community 
was a lot to manage at first. Um, but being at Stevens was really great. Uh, there's really strong community there, and there's a lot of places to find yourself. And so I feel like that was a really great start for me. Um, and there's a lot of room for growth in this area for queer people yeah. and the queer community. And I think there's a lot more that we deserve. Uh, but I've been able to find my home here, which has been good. That's amazing. And when, when you were going to school at Stevens, mm -hmm. how did you get involved with the student? Because you didn't study with journalism, but you were very no. passionate about journalism. No, I, I have no, I didn't get trained in journalism when I got there. I actually started writing for the paper before I was even a student. Uh, they were looking for columnists and I was like, I think this might be a really great way for me to introduce myself to this community whom I knew no one here. So I wanted to be able to feel like, okay, this is my home, this is my community too, and I'm gonna tell my story and hopefully people will accept me. And uh, so I was writing a weekly column my freshman year and I covered all sorts of topics. Uh, I was really interested in national politics and so I found ways to talk about what was going on in the world and bring it back to my life and show that a lot of these issues were things that we were all going through in some way. And so um, from there I started covering local politics and state politics and university affairs and was just really trying to get a sense of what was going on in my community. Oh yeah, and, and there's, a, there's that dynamic with Stevens as the only higher education institution in Hoboken uh, and so, you know, I've, I've run for office before, the debates happen at Stevens, the student, student government are the ones that are uh, managing the actual debate and, and the, the logistics of it. So you have that, uh, that view and that reporting, but you also took that and you're, one thing is reporting, but another thing is also voicing that, uh, those analysis, right, that, that information uh, and how it impacts your story. And can you tell us a bit more about that story too? Yeah, I mean, what I really appreciate about the Stevens community is that they are really active and they're involved and they're speaking up for issues that are mattering at just, not just the university, but also in the city. Uh, and yes, I was in the student government and we were organizing a lot of the events that were happening at our university for local politics. Uh, I, I mean, I would say that my involvement also writing local politics for the newspaper really helped me understand like what we were organizing and what it was all for. Uh, and so a lot of that informed how I understood local politics and it's in ways that it's broken and ways that it's succeeding. Yeah, no, great. Um, we had a... So I see a lot of connection with you as well, like, um, because there's that, sense, that search for belonging uh, where you live, right? So I, and I told you this, like I was born in Ecuador. Uh, I got here when I was 12, uh, and I was an undocumented immigrant for 11 years. So you know, really putting yourself out there and letting people know like, this is me and I'm looking for my community. Uh, and also mixing that up too, like, you know, it's, like, you know it's, it's about making sure that you feel welcome, that you feel, uh, sometimes it's, it's in between the lines, people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, of course, you know, immigrants are welcome, of course, queer people are welcome in Hoboken, but is there, have you seen that there's, that, where do you see that potential for growth, for that change on, 
on, uh, on, on being more, a more welcoming community, not city, but just community uh, in Hoboken for, for queer people? I mean, what I love about Hoboken is that the people in this community, and, and even Hudson County, they are, they want to include queer people and they want to see changes happen. Um, but as you know, there's no gay bars in Hoboken. There's very few gay-owned businesses. A lot of the visibility that we see are queer people really trying to make themselves visible. Um, and it's not always easy. Mm -hmm. So making more access to these resources where queer people can feel successful in this city is where I see probably the biggest and most immediate way that we can make change. And, and I want to address also the part of change, right? So many times change uh, is thought of as something negative. Change is something that oh, people don't want change, you know? But at the end, we are all, you know, thinking of uh, ways that we can improve our lives. There's many times we all complain about something, right? We all are thinking of something that shouldn't be that way and it doesn't have to be that way. So what we're trying to do with this conversation is that we're gonna be doing on a monthly basis is like changing that narrative of, you know, change is because mm -hmm. that way we can grow. We can be better community. We can be more welcoming. So uh, something that you had mentioned in our conversations was um, the, uh, the services that could be provided to the community. Hoboken is small, it's a one square mile. Well, I was just having a conversation with uh, some people from Hoboken, and they were saying like, yeah, you know, like, even though Hoboken is so small, people walking from the west side of Hoboken all the way to the waterfront, it's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on where you're coming from. So that distance is, is still pretty large. Mm -hmm. And you and I, we were talking about the Hudson Pride Center that's in downtown Jersey City. What are some of the services that could be also provided here in Hoboken so that it can be more accessible? You don't have to go to New York for it. You don't have to go to Jersey City for it. Yeah, I think talking about specifically about where these resources, where they are locationally to where we're at in Hoboken. I mean, being a queer person at college, you're looking for community. You want to go to the gay restaurants, the gay bars, and I've just the awareness of where these are is not limited and knowing where you can get the access to them in Jersey City and in New York is also limited. Uh, I mean, we, we think of gay bars and gay restaurants as like the peak of what gay people can get and I don't think that's true. Um, I mean, it should be the bare minimum, uh, but at least in Hoboken and in New Jersey, we need to see more protections for queer and transgender people who are incarcerated, mm -hmm. uh, queer and transgender people in education. Uh, queer, educa queer education isn't mandatory in the state, and so still having larger conversations in every institution in the city is what's going to contribute to a better community for queer people. Tell us more about queer, ed queer education. You just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, in queer education, like queer role models and people who are making history are who a lot of queer people are looking at to know what they should be doing for their community as well, and knowing where our community even stands for queer people and queer rights right now. Uh, so, having more conversation with young people about uh, who queer people are, what they've gone through. 
uh, I think about the HIV epidemic and how when we, those conversations aren't happening in schools, not in the way that they should. They talk about it like it's a past thing, but this is something that's affecting all of us now, affecting queer people predominantly. And those things have to happen at a young age so that they can exist everywhere in our community. Yeah, and it has to do with that is, you know, and that's the way it happened to me. Like I come from a Latino home, very machista, right? And unless, because I was, until I was actually, you know, um, be able to interact with uh, actually my wife's side of the family, you know, and my, my, my mother-in-law's friends, I wasn't able to really understand and, and, and have that connection with the LGBTQ community, uh, have an understanding of really asking those questions within us of, like there's a lot of misconceptions, preconceptions, uh, about the other, right? And so uh, unless we have those conversations at an early age, uh, you know, then we don't have that opportunity for growth and we have so much opportunity for uh, every generation, not just the new generations, but every generation to take that change and be able to change that mentality and that mindset and be more welcoming. Mm -hmm. I mean, to create more inclusive spaces, we all have to be able to acknowledge and see this history and what has happened to our community. Uh, because even straight people have something to benefit from queer education because they might have a child who's queer. Yeah. And so being able to, so that every aspect of our community can be aware of ways that we can treat each other better, to love more is going to be better for all of us. Yeah, I think that's, that's the way I many, I many times sum it up for my mom, from, for other people in my family. It's like, love is love, that's all you gotta know. And that kind of brings the guard down, and that's a really great argument that has worked for me and my family, uh, for them to be like, okay, I, I get it. I, get, I now get that, uh, uh, you know, how I, I interact with that mm -hmm. community. Uh, so you were mentioning welcoming spaces. We are, <laughs> a, a little shout out to, um, to Lion's Den, uh, our barbershop here in, in Hoboken, for, thank you for hosting us, but something that I have heard from uh, the LGBTQ community is you know, the need to have those same type of conversations around spaces like barbershops, right? Uh, barbershops, and I've been in many barbershops throughout my years, uh, and also like my brother-in-law was talking to me about it, I told you that, and he said, you know, how do we address that, um, uh, how, how do we make barbershops, that, which are a place where community builds, where interactions happen, you know, when uh, that is supposed to be that part of the community, how can we make more barbershops, for example, uh, more welcoming for the queer community? I love barbershops as an example. Uh, I don't think, when we think of spaces that could improve with inclusiveness, we think of barbershops right away, but you're completely right. I have those same feelings of, like I grew up with uh, in Arkansas, the same barber that came to our house because we lived so far away from barbershops. And we had the same barber for 10 years. And so you form a relationship barber client and you have to be able to trust that relationship to want to continue it. They have to care about you, you have to care about them. And when you move to a new place, you have to find where that space is for you again and who is going to be that person you can trust because like you said, barbershops, they're a business, they're a place to go, but they're also community, and you're going to be forming really strong relationships, and especially in 
barber shops where there's a lot more male relationships, male to male relationships. It's how male communities are able to understand their ways that they can be more inclusive and ways that they can create more transformative spaces. I think tonight's a really good example of how a barbershop can become a transformative space and how it can be used for things that are really positive for lots of different communities. Oh yeah, and we're excited that this is happening and this is only the beginning for those conversations, uh, not just for uh, my conversation with you, but my conversation with uh, upcoming everyday people in the community. Uh, so as I mentioned, I think I mentioned it before, uh, I'm, I'm running for county commissioner here in, in, in the district, it's District 5 here in, in Hudson County, covers Hope, all of Hoboken and part of Jersey City. Uh, they, what can the county, what can, uh, what can we have more in Hoboken in terms of uh, services uh, for the prevention and treatment of, of AIDS, for example? I can talk about many things with the county. Uh, so the county... Bring it on. Yeah. Say it all. <laughs> we need to talk about it. The county specifically is in charge of the jail. Mm. And in New Jersey, it is not a policy to put transgender individuals in the correct prison mm. that matches their gender identity. Mm. They're supposed to go to the institution that matches sex at birth. Mm. That alone is going to put communities at extreme risk and that is a, one of the most immediate things that I could see needing to be changed but particularly with the HIV epidemic we're relying on queer institutions to be in charge of this when this is something that's affecting all of us and something that should be everywhere I mean I've talked about how it needs to be better implemented in schools that we're having this conversations around education and mm -hmm. prevention um, I'm not sure how much the county can step in with the cost of pharmaceutical medicines. Uh, at least with the HIV epidemic, there's two classes of medicines. You have prevention medicine like PrEP, which until recently didn't have a generic option available mm -hmm. and cost around $3,700 a month. Uh, and then you have post uh, for people who t test positive uh, like Victarvi, and those cost around $3,900 a month. And I mean, everyone is dealing with different health issues and pharmaceutical costs are extremely high in America. Uh, but these medications in particular are outrageously high. And so for the county to be involved in an epidemic that is affecting the United States more than any other country in the world is something that should be of high priority. Yeah, and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to make sure that uh, we shine light in that and also in, I mean, the county, it, it has access to some federal dollars that cities cannot get. Mm -hmm. So there is an opportunity into exploring that. Um, I did not know that about the county jail. So thank you for bringing that up. That's something that I'll definitely add to uh, our commitments and our platform. Um, I do want to make sure that you have also the space and the time to be able to uh, you know, tell us what change you want to see in the world. What change you want to see in this world that where we live in right now? I mean, that's a huge question. <laughs> what kind of changes? Uh, and, and, yeah, no, and, and that's that's why I want to open it up because yeah. you can go go crazy. You know? Yeah, I mean, at least in my life and what perspectives that yeah. I bring to the table, um, I think we need to be seeing 
our community become more inclusive for queer people, particularly queer people of color who are facing the most violence. And we talk about love is love and love one another, but in my opinion, that's not enough. We mm -hmm. need to end harassment and discrimination mm -hmm. of one another mm -hmm. and make sure that everyone is able to achieve the highest forms of themselves wherever they want to go. Um, and that queer people in particular don't have to be subject to unsafe working conditions, putting themselves in situations that they otherwise wouldn't have to uh, because of who they are and their identity. That to me is top priority. Yeah. You mentioned right now the uh, queer people of color. What have you uh, seen in particular uh, that has affected this community, like in particular to this community? Um, I, I can talk about some of my experiences, yeah. and that has been, um, I'm really involved in the ballroom scene. I was gonna ask you about that. Yes, I'm really involved in the ballroom scene. You can scene give a community. shout out to the house too. House of La Beja, I yeah. love you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm really involved in the ballroom scene, and that was a space created by trans women for trans women, and but it's also a space for everybody. I found it's really a place where, um, I mean, like if you don't know what ballroom is, it, they have categories where people have to walk to a certain description. Um, it's most well known for voguing, uh, featured on different shows recently, HBO. There was Pose, um, but I mean beyond the costumes and the fun music. It's a space where trans women in particular are seen mm. and acknowledged and celebrated. And that's one of the few places where trans women can access that in our society safely and regularly. That's not happening everywhere else. And so what I've learned is creating, allowing trans women and queer individuals to have the resources to create the spaces that they need. Queer people need to be at the forefront of these conversations, but we also need everybody behind us too. So those are probably the biggest things that I could talk about for the queer community of color particularly. Something that stuck with me also was when we were having a conversation with Ken uh, about how uh, in these houses, different from what happens in society, people of color have the advantage rather than white people. Yes. Tell me more about that. Uh, so we do boot camps. Okay. And so uh, in the House of La Beige, my category I focus on is runway. And in one of our first boot camps, I was the only white person there. And they stopped all of us and they said, like, Matthew, you're really gonna have to step it up here. You're, like, you stand out here. And there's also more pressure on you because why are you here? Mm -hmm. And so like those type of lessons of being able to navigate spaces that those aren't, those aren't spaces that were created for me. Mm -hmm. I'm there because I was invited in. And so I'm wanting to make this space for me too. And so it's a lot about learning to respect where you're at yeah. and learning to respect each other and the history of the spaces that you're entering in and being able to appreciate it. Amazing. Uh, and just to wrap up, because we had an amazing conversation and amazing topics. I want to make sure that people know where to find you on social media 
Uh, do you want to share your social media handles? Yes, please follow me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, at it's Matthew C. Please follow. <laughs> Great, and also you can follow me at Ron Bautista NJ on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and uh, you can literally Google me and find my find me, find my phone number, text me. Have any questions? Please let us know. Uh, thank you, Matthew, so much. This has been amazing. I love your story. I love what you bring to the table. And everybody, please thank a round you. of applause. Okay. <laughs>